<laughs> That's okay. But it is good to see all of you out this morning. We are glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for today comes from, I guess, a, a blend of, of different things that I've been studying over the past two or three weeks. Uh, in our preschool, we have chapel. And so the last two or three weeks that we've had chapel, those lessons have been based around uh, the, the Ten Plagues and, and the Ten Commandments and the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. And so those thoughts have kind of blended into this. And in my own personal readings, I'm in numbers. And so I've gone through chapters 13 and 14 about the spies going into the land of Canaan. And all of those things are involved in this lesson this morning. Whenever we look at the Old Testament, there, there are a lot of people that believe that the churches of Christ do, do not believe in the Old Testament anymore. And that could be further from the truth. As I look at the Old Testament, even though we don't follow the, the commands and the sacrifices and the ordinances of the Old Testament, there are so many lessons that we can learn and that we would really miss out on if we didn't have the Old Testament. And so today's lesson is based on uh, some of the, the first books in the Old Testament and some lessons that we can learn from them. One of the greatest things that we can learn from is Israel. And basically, we understand that Israel was well taken care of by God. Israel was God's chosen people. And of course, Israel is the, the nation in which Jesus even came into this world. And today, we, we have more of a relation as spiritual Israel than anything. But we still have many great lessons that we can learn from God's people of the Old Testament. That we, as God's people in the New Testament period and in the Christian age can take with us and learn from. Many in our world have rejected God, haven't they? Look around us. Look at our nation. Look at our leaders. And you don't have to look far to see people who have rejected God. Some have rejected God out of ignorance. Maybe they, they simply don't know who He is or, or maybe they, they don't have that, that full recognition of who He is. And so they reject Him in that way. Some reject Him out of arrogance because they feel that they don't need God or for some other reason. But they will reject Him they, they have made the decision for themselves that God is of little to no importance. They have no need of Him nor desire to serve Him. What does it mean to reject God? And how significant is this rejection to the life of a non-Christian? Ultimately, it will affect their eternity. It means that they have chosen to live life without Him, without His comfort, and without the spiritual blessings provided every Christian. 
And even God's people, even Israel, they recognized the blessing of God in their lives and everything that He had done for them, and yet they still rejected God. And is it possible that even as Christians, even recognizing who God is, is it possible that, that we may fall into that same temptation to reject God? Absolutely. It's something that we need to be aware of. A matter in which we need to strengthen our faith. But yes, we can reject God. Our lesson objectives for this morning are first of all to examine the Scriptures and Israel's own rejection of God. And secondly, to recognize Israel's loss so as not to make it our own. We begin in the book of Exodus. We could probably go back further, but we'll go back to the book of Exodus. And in the beginning of the book of Exodus, we read of Moses. God sent Moses to lead Israel out of bondage to Egypt. Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. Exodus 2 and verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Even though they had been in bondage for hundreds of years, God took notice of His people. He remembered His people. He did not forget them. And that's a reminder to us also as Christians that even in the bleakest of times, even in the worst of times, God hasn't forgotten us. God remembers you just as He remembered His people then. In the next chapter, speaking to Moses in the form of a burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, God speaks to Moses. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses didn't want to do it, did he? He thought that somebody else could do a much better job than himself. And he expressed that very openly to God. 
Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And remember that, that Moses had fled from, from the presence of Pharaoh, from the Egyptians. He had made a grave mistake in killing an Egyptian. And he had been found out. And so he had fled to the land of Midian. And so now God comes to him and says, Go back and lead my people out of bondage. And he said, Who am I to do that? Who am I to do this job? Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? I, I don't even know what to say. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Chapter 4, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. In verse 13 of chapter 4, But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Just not me. Don't use me. I, I'm not the man for the job. Pick somebody else. But God had an answer for each one of Moses' excuses. And Moses did as he was instructed. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh doesn't believe. And so there are, are ten plagues that follow. And God eventually does keep His promise to lead His people out of bondage. The plagues begin with the first being, the waters turned to blood. The Nile River, the, the river that they based their lives on, that they went to so often, was turned to blood. And the magicians were in some way, some sleight of hand, able to, to do something similar. So there were other plagues. The plague of the frogs. How would you like to have frogs all over the place? Couldn't even step anywhere without finding a frog. They were plagued with frogs. And then they were plagued with lice. It affected both man and beast. And even the very dust became lice. Then you have the plague of the flies. You know, just one little fly can bother you. I remember in a, a lesson a few years ago in the school of preaching, I was teaching. and I don't even remember what my class was on. I think it was on the, some of the great chapters of the Bible or something. But anyway... I was going through my lesson. This fly had been flying all around me the whole lesson. So about midway through, it landed on the podium and I went... <laughs> I caught their attention. They all woke up. 
Flies can be pesky, but these flies were, were nothing in comparison to the ones we experience today. They were all over the place. Then you have the plague of the diseased livestock. The plague of the boils on man and beast. The plague of the hail. The plague of the locusts. And the plague of darkness. A, a deep, deep darkness. It would almost be like shutting yourself in a closet. And you know that kind of overwhelming darkness. When, when there are no windows, no source of light at all. That's the darkness that they experienced. And then the death of the firstborn. In the death of the firstborn, we read of the institution of the Passover. A, a lamb was to be sacrificed by each household and, and some of its blood spread on the doorposts. And the lamb was to be eaten by those of the household. And that was the Passover. And when, when that death occurred, whenever the Lord could see the blood, whenever that blood was visible, it would cover those within that household. Exodus 12, verses 12 and 13, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Something that, that we may forget about. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. All of these were signs to Pharaoh and to Egypt that God was in control. Pharaoh would eventually, with each plague, become irritated. And he would say, make God stop this plague and I'll let you go. And then as soon as that plague was over, he would change his mind. His heart was hardened. And he would not let the people go. Until that final plague. And he finally let Israel go. They were finally allowed to leave Egypt, taking along with them some of the spoils and of the riches of the land. As we read in chapter 12, verses 30, <clears throat> 31 through 36. Excuse me. <clears throat> and eventually, in their departure from Egypt, they came to the Red Sea. Pharaoh again changed his mind, but at this point, Israel had gotten a little further out. They were away from Egypt and, and he had to pursue them. And he did. And in Exodus 14, beginning with verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. 
And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us? To bring us up out of Egypt. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. Verse 21 Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Those final couple of verses are very important. They saw the Egyptians dead. They saw them defeated. They saw the great hand of the Lord and and His mighty power. And they feared Him in that moment. Keep that in mind as we go throughout the rest of the lesson. But can you imagine them crossing the Red Sea? And I wonder if any of them tried to to touch one of the walls of water. I wonder if they did, if their hand would go into the water. You know, it's almost like going to an aquarium and we we have the the great walls of glass that keep the water in. And and you can touch the glass and sometimes the, the, the things that are in the water will see you and maybe they'll follow your hand. I wonder what they saw crossing the Red Sea. I, mean, I wonder what they thought as they were crossing that sea. But they saw firsthand the power of the Lord. 
But they didn't always remember the power of the Lord. I want to go back for a moment to Exodus chapter 3 because this has a really important place in our lesson. Exodus 3 verses 7 and 8. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. God intended to lead His people not just out of Egypt, but even as He was telling Moses of these things, He promised to lead them to this land, flowing with milk and honey, which basically means that, that it was of great a value from a nature standpoint. It was something that, that was, was well taken care of. It was something that they would be very blessed to be in. And God promised them this land. A land of, of great abundance. And God intended for His people to inhabit that land. The land of Canaan. But in Numbers 13, we read that the spies went into the land. There were twelve spies. Ten were bad, two were good. And the spies brought back a report in Numbers 13 and verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Not just able, but well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said in verse 31, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now therein lies the key to all of this. To the bad report. Just four words. In 
our own sight. You see, they were looking through the wrong eyes. They were, were taking into account the wrong view. You see, whenever we see our obstacles, sometimes we see them as greater than ourselves, don't we? But what's the problem? The problem is not the obstacles. The problem is our view of the obstacles. You see, if I look through these physical eyes, I'm not going to get a good view. Even though I've got new glasses, I'm still not going to get a, new, a good view. Because I'm going to see the obstacles through human eyes. But when I look through the vision of faith, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. When I look through the eyes of faith, I can see not just the obstacle, but I can see the God who can overcome the obstacle. They weren't looking through the eyes of faith. They were looking through human eyes and they were seeing these giants and these, these great and strong, powerful men. We can't overcome them. But Caleb and Joshua, they saw through the eyes of faith. They saw the God that could overcome the obstacles. And so they had a different report. But Israel didn't go with Joshua and Caleb. They went with the majority. You know, the majority doesn't always rule. The majority is not always right. But that's exactly what they did. They went with the majority and Israel rejected God. Numbers 14, beginning with verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader. Let us select a captain and return to Egypt. They were ready to overthrow Moses' rule, to overthrow his authority in their lives, to overthrow God and just appoint someone for themselves and, and go right back to the slavery that they were once in. They rejected God. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb pleaded with them. In verse 5 of Numbers 14, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of, the, of meeting before all the children 
of Israel. After all that God had done for them, Israel rejected God. And so God was ready to reject His people because they had rejected Him already. But we read that Moses interceded for the people. In verse 11 of Numbers 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. It seems like Moses is going to benefit from all of this. Because from him, God is going to make a nation. Similarly to the way that he had made Abraham a great nation, he was going to do the same with Moses. But Moses had a soft heart to the people. He loved them. There, there's a reason that Moses was chosen for the job and not someone else. Because no one, I believe, would have cared for Israel the way that Moses did. And so Moses said to the Lord in verse 13, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your clouds stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which He swore to give them, therefore He killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but He by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the, and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me See it. God is a God of love, but He's also a God of justice. And in regard to those who had rejected Him, they wouldn't see that land. But God is going to lead His people into the promised land. I wonder 
What has God done for us today? To reject God is to reject the great things that He has done in our lives. And it goes beyond our, our physical lives. Uh, remember that, that Jesus told us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. To, for God provide that, that daily provision for us. And, and He does. But even beyond that we see our forgiveness of sins. It is given through Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Even after all the things that Israel put God through, even after all of this time, God still loves His people. He loves those who accept Him. Those who obey Him. And He loves those who reject Him too. But God is certainly long-suffering with us, isn't He? Mark 16, 16, He who believes, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Not only is his love shown in the sending of his son, but also in his granting of time for obedience. In 2 Peter 3, beginning with verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 8, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is, a, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The only reason for a delay in the coming of Christ and His return is that God is giving us the opportunity to obey He's not willing that any soul should perish. Often we may get the idea as we, we study scriptures when we read about a, a place called hell. We get the idea that God is going to send those who reject Him to that place. But God doesn't send them there. They send themselves there by rejecting God. God is unwilling that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even now, He's giving you the opportunity to repent. To obey if that's what's necessary for your salvation. To be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of your sins. 
You've been granted an opportunity. But the question comes to you. Will you also reject God? We've seen Israel. We've surveyed the, the great things that God did on their behalf in, in leading them out of Egyptian bondage and, and, and through the Red Sea. And, and He took care of His people with daily provision. He took care of His people. And yet, even after all of that, even after understanding the promise that God had made them, they rejected Him. They refused Him. And even after all the, the great things that God has done for us, the, the daily provision that He gives us today, and after sending His Son, His own Son, to die on the cross for our sin, will you also reject Him? Will you make the same mistake that Israel made? Or will you obey Him? Will you remain faithful to Him? And certainly, if you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, we want you to come. And so we offer you this opportunity to respond to the Lord's invitation. Whosoever will, may come as we stand and sing.